and welcome to the latest episode of Betfair's Wade In podcast. We are recording midday on Monday, as always, and we have plenty to discuss, some highs and lows from the week just gone in horse racing. And of course, it's a little bit of a sense of a lull before the storm that is the Christmas racing period coming our way. I will be discussing in the next hour news, views, races, etc. with, as always, Tony Calvin, doesn't miss a single show. How are you, TC? Yeah, all good, yeah. A bit of a, anybody who reads my Twitter feed so would see I've had a, a bit of a testing weekend, but uh, I'm still here to tell the tale. Yeah, You've weathered a few storms, you'll weather a few more, TC, I think. I, I don't let, if I'm still if I'm still breathing, I'm still winning. <laughs> Love it, that's the attitude. Uh, we also have Brendan Duke with us, of course. I was on track at Cheltenham on Friday, Brendan, and two individual people spoke to me about you in a positive in a positive way, not a negative way, in a positive, we love Brendan Duke type uh, tone. Good, 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 good eggs. Good eggs. Absolutely delighted to hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you enjoy your day at the races? I did. I did, yeah. I was wor- working up at the sale. At the, they have a sale after racing on the Friday. It's very good. Uh, I saw some nice horses. So, yeah, had a good day. And then it was straight in the car and up to Newcastle for a nice eight race all-weather card on Saturday. Um and we are also joined by David Ord. How, again, second week in a row, as I said last week, I promised that we'd have you back. And of course, due to the fact that according to the running order, I am the boss, that happened, David. I didn't think I had the power Vanessa, but no, thank you. Delighted to be back. I've just been choking on a piece of apple for about five minutes, but I've, I've, the silver stars have just stopped in front of my eyes. So I'm, <laughs> I'm just about compass mentors for this now. Excellent. Great. Well, Pull good away. start. Good start. <laughs> never eat fruit. Um, I've never touched it. I don't know what I was thinking of. Yeah, that was that was an error of your ways. Um, yeah, I definitely don't have the power, by the way, but uh, the gods above have kept you on. So delighted to have you with us. Enjoyed last week, and I'm looking forward to this week. Before we go any further, uh, Rachel Blackmore's serial winner fu- winners fund is up to 120k. She had three winners at the weekend. Betfair putting 5k into the pot every time Rachel Blackmore has a winner between Betfair Chase Day and the Grand National. And then that money is going to be split between the Injured Jockeys Fund and the Irish Injured Jockeys Fund. So, well done, Rachel. 120K, we're rocking... uh, Oh, yeah. 120K, 125 maybe. I don't even know. But anyway, it's rocking and rolling. Um, Let's kick off with Cheltenham chat guys we will obviously do our usual run through of the star performers from the week and then we've got a good few news things to get stuck into Um, but we will kick off with the December Gold Cup David I will come to you first here Fugitive outdoing Il Rodoto in the finish getting up on the line great ride by Gavin Sheehan again he's in excellent form at the moment um some people hailing Bryony's ride as a great ride, others calling it a bad ride. Where did you sit in that argument? I think it'd be very harsh to call it a bad ride, wouldn't it? Because she, she'd won it everywhere apart from the the final stride. That was a bold attacking ride. It looked like they're going too quick, didn't it? Going out second circuit, I thought that they'd come back. You were waiting for that. And I think the jockeys in behind thought they were going to come back. It was interesting hearing Gavin Sheehan talking afterwards. That he was flat to the boards after three fences. He'd, he'd intended to sit much closer than he had done and he, he simply couldn't do it, but he got there in the end. I thought it was a really good race. It was two gunslingers, wasn't it? We're used to seeing locking horns around Cheltenham, Ooh. fighting out the finish. There was very little between them. It was the last stride he got there. I mean, Brian said that they were, they were keen to use the stamina with Il Rodoto. The way he ran, 
you wouldn't put it put, be put off going over two miles, would you? Having a shot at something like the Grand Annual with him, it was. I thought it was a fantastic performance from the front two. Fakir Dudri, nice late gains as well on his seasonal re- return. Um, I, he was picking up the pieces late. I, I just wonder if there's a big handicap in him this season. If they're going to go down this route rather than the graded prizes moving on. But yeah, Gavin Sheehan, he's been the story of the recent weeks of the the recent winter big handicaps. Fantastic ride. But yeah, you'd have to feel sorry for Ildadota and Brian because I thought they'd be treading water up that hill and they weren't. It was the very last stride they got there. So yeah, a, a lot to take from the race. I'm not, I think it'd be hard for a few people from now on. I think he's going to have to go into graded race. I'm not going to be sure he's quite up to that. But he had a day in the sun and please for Richard Hobson too, a, a really nice guy to deal with. Yeah, seemingly so. And Fugitive, I think most people felt that he deserved a big one like that at Cheltenham. And as for Il Rodoto TC, I don't know what price he hit in running, but I thought it was a brilliant race to watch. Do you know what I mean? Like that sort of horse jumping so quickly from A to B under Bryony Frost, gets them in a brilliant rhythm, nearly holds on. Thrilling race, what that race should all be about. Yeah, uh, traded at 1.15 in running, the winner 65. Um, not surprising when you consider where Fugitive came from. Um, yeah, I mean, there's off the back of the race, there's probably two main stories, isn't there? Um, the first is obviously Bryony Frost. Um, I think he's a brilliant ride, isn't it? Um, anybody has said that's a moderate, poor ride, need, need a head wobble, but uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's it highlighted the fact that Bryony Frost has not been supported at all well by trainers, uh, this year. He's only ridden for 12 different trainers, only. Four of those have given them more than six rides. And it's it's always going to come into play, isn't it, when, when Brian Frost's name comes up and everyone says, you know, what a great jockey is. She's got a decent strike rate, but she's just not supported by, you know, by a lot of trainers. I think it's only the likes of Nichols and uh, a dad and there's two other trainers, McPherson and what was the other one? Lucy uh, Wadham, isn't it? Yeah, they're the four main ones um, and the... And the other lot, you know, just like you know, like six or less. So that's that. And obviously, there there was a bit a bit of a Twitter beef between Nichols and Fugitive's owner Carl Hinchy on Twitter last year, wasn't there? So that uh, might have added a bit more spice to it. I won't say the word that one of them actually used about the other one, but uh, it wasn't cute anyway. <laughs> Yeah, there was definitely an undercurrent there in the aftermath and and Nichols, who had a good weekend, looked pretty crestfallen um, in the sort of moments after, as you would expect, uh, snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, courtesy of Fugitive. Uh, Brendan, let's talk about some novice chase performances, please. You and your little festive Christmas jumper over there. You can talk to me about Blood Destiny, please, who obviously was a focus of the Triumph Hurdle market. The juvenile division last year has come out and made a successful chasing debut, uh, being cut for the Turners and the Brown Advisory. is 14 to 1 for the Turners Novices Chase and 16s for the Brown Advisory, but obviously only a four-year-old at the moment. Um, where does he stack up against the Novice Chasers, specifically from the Willie Mullins Yard? Well, yeah, specifically from the uh, Willie Mullins Yard, if we're going to talk about the Turners, I mean... He looked at. He didn't look an obvious horse to go up and trip with. Given as a juvenile hurdler, he was inclined to be keen, and 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 as well as that, he was inclined to clout the hurdles. But uh, they clearly 
suggest or, or, or had a theory that maybe fences might calm him down and that as Jerry Hannon said he's a natural at them isn't it I mean it was just a, he went down to the first took two lengths out of out of the field including Hartwood who's a, a decent sort had form ties in with Grainsclare West from a decent beginner's chase at Nice earlier in the season I mean it was, this was this was just a proper performance uh, it got a bit low at the second last but okay it's, it, the horse is entitled to make one mistake but settled beautifully jumped beautifully clearly a very talented horse alright getting the four year old allowance wouldn't have that in the in, in the turners um, but but what are they going to do with him? I mean, it was Indiana Dream last week, possible turn. I can't believe I'm getting so excited about the the Turners. It is a barnacle on the arse of uh, the, the, the <laughs> of, of, of the national hunt season. It's a, it is literally the worst race in the calendar. But if Willie Mullins and of course <coughs> these horses may suffer setbacks as the season goes on, but if Willie Mullins um, d- decided to pitch those three horses into it, it'd be very exciting. Uh, so. Yeah, uh, again, blood destiny looks a natural. Jerry Hammond said it all, and um, I, I suppose the only other thing you would say is that I am inclined to do this when horses get a solo uh, on, on their novice chase and think, "Oh, well, he's a brilliant jumper," and then things can change when they're taken on for the lead. So that so that's possible. But geez, he looked he looked really good there. Dave, do you like the angle of the sort of that? You know, we don't see it all that often. Triumph Hall's last season chasing debut, you know, beginners chaser this year. Um, do you like that sort of angle? Do you worry about him with that age difference compared to the horses he'll be meeting um in well, specifically in the spring, I suppose? It used to be a much stronger angle, didn't it? Um before the change when the allowance kicked in, uh, disappeared, yeah. etc. The, the thing that rang the alarm well for me, Willie and his column with us at the weekend expressed his one concern was that they all didn't go on last season that he was as good first time as he was for the rest of the season and that he hoped yeah. he'd see him progress through a campaign this time, something he was unable to do last time. But like Brendan said, the fencing was fantastic, wasn't it, by that one mistake at the second last. When you've got that sort of engine and that sort of jumping ability, then you should be taking high rank. Mm, absolutely. And we're talking about engines. I suppose we can move swiftly on then if, and sticking with the novice chasers. Broadway Boy made another... Uh, winning effort at Cheltenham. He's now being cut into 10 to 1 for the National Hunt Chase and he's 16s for the Brown Advisory at the Cheltenham Festival. Um, winner, obviously, for Team Twist and Davis and sort of sharing the love big style on the ITV screens with this winner, TC. Um, would you have any interest in him or do you think he's going to be outclassed? Are we underestimating him because of the level of which he's doing it at? Or do you think that, yeah, there'll be classier rivals for him? I think he's, I think they might go down the free mile route, but the, the National Hunt Chase is, is an even more obvious one, isn't it? Given that the stamina he shows at the end of that, I mean, the feature of that race is he was absolutely smashed to smithereens in the betting. He was all the morning before. Lots of coverage on ITV as well, that TC. You should be pleased about that. It is. It was seven to two um, across the board the night before. And, you know, they were taking 2.46 at the off. It was, uh, you know, know, to win that coming back after jumping so badly, um, which kind of leads me to to think the National Hunt Chase is the more obvious target, given that he seems to be all about stamina. But yeah, um, given that he won that in spite of his jumping, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't 
quibble with I won't quibble with um, you know those those Cheltenham quotes. Well, you know it's not my cup of tea, and no. I'd much rather be more interested in blood destiny at fourteens for the Turners, but with the sportsman. But as as Brendan said, Mullins could have about twenty seven in the race, couldn't he? <laughs> no, <laughs> I allow him to. Yeah, I was just about yeah. to say. So sorry, I did say last week that um, one of the great big dice rollers was Paul Nichols, but of course, Twisty probably is the biggest uh, big dice roller. So the horse should go for, for the national chase in boodles of stamina at the weekend over three mile two. But Twisty Davis is such an optimist; he probably thinks he can win the Arkle. So you know, they they, they probably will roll the big dice. It's pretty yeah. he's got a good one, isn't it, Nigel? Because he runs them. Mm. They're, they're not wrapped yeah. up in cotton. Well, they want Mister Dance this horse. He'll be he'll be. Everywhere and just campaigned as we used to see Imperial Commander being. That's what Nigel does with the good horse. So it's great to see him get with another one on his hands. And Dave, the thing is with Broadway boys, he can jump. He just got out of a rhythm, I felt. You know, it's like there's sort of it's that Jenga tower with those novice chases, isn't it? Once one brick comes out, they can all start coming out quite quickly. I feel like, you know, we definitely have seen it. Well, we absolutely have seen him jump better than that. They'll get him back jumping. It was just, was that not I don't want to crab him too much for his jumping. No, I, I wouldn't. He jumped superbly for the first circuit. Like I said, he was in a great rhythm. And that one mistake seemed to unsettle him. And he was he was under pressure for the lead. And he, he missed the next couple and was a bit deliberate at one. But I was really impressed with how he got the job done in the end. Because there were plenty of chances to to throw it away. And he didn't. He knuckled down. I agree with TC that I think I'd be going National Hunt chase with him. I think that's the race for him rather than the three mile. And just a line on protect to that as well in third, who I think the Winter Millions is the plan now. And it's a big day for him, isn't it? Because I like what he did from the second last at Cheltenham, but what he'd done up till then through the early stages. He was a long time in the air at the first few again, took a, t- a little while to warm to it, protect to that. You'd want to see him absolutely on his A game in that Winter Millions where he goes next. But there will be plenty of reason for them to take encouragement from the run at least. Yeah, absolutely. And as we're on the topic of the chases at Cheltenham, we better mention Ginny's Destiny's performance. Um, it was a good weekend, as I keep saying, for Nichols and, well, Harry Cobden in, the, in this situation. So we better go straight to you for that, Brendan, for a bit of a Cobden loving. But um, in terms of Ginny's Destiny's performance, obviously all eyes were on the favourite Grey Dornay, making that mm. mistake at the second last. Was the race, I mean, it's hard to say, isn't it? Was he coming there to win his race, do you think? Ah, yeah. Well, I'd be fairly sure he'd have, he'd, he'd have won. I mean, that was that was a shuddering mistake. Skelton probably would want it back. He seemed to change his mind on the last stride and the horse. Uh, yeah, he, he, he. I mean, jump is the name of the game, but I, I, I do think that mistake caused him the race, which is, uh, which is, which is good for those of us who are big advocates of that uh, fan uh, advocates of that form of the race in Exeter to stay away Faye one, which is just, mm. just working out really well. But Ginny's destiny done really well with this nickel since since he's got it probably blew up at the October meeting, comes back sharper, wins at the November meeting, goes in again here, be up to a mark in the 140s. Looks like a horse, a bold jumper and looks like a horse that a step up and trip wouldn't do him any harm. Hasn't had a lot of racing. So he could definitely eke out some more improvement, whether it's going to make up into a grade one novice chaser, uh, probably probably not, but um, uh, a very likeable horse and copped it again, just a joy to watch. A joy to watch. TC, how low did Grey Dawning go in running? Sorry, do you have that? Uh, Grey Dawning. Uh, hang on a sec. 
It wouldn't have been that low because no, of, no. It, it was the second last year. Yeah. So. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I still, I'm, I'm keeping Grey Dawning on side myself, but um, yeah, nice performance. What about... Just very quickly, there wasn't any Cheltenham quotes that I saw afterward for, for the winner, but uh, the second, and bear in mind the second did miss Cheltenham to go to Aintree last year. Could do the same again, yeah. Um, what about late night pass, Dave, uh, winning the cross country, obviously a race that was marred by the injury to Gez Keel, which we'll get to in due course. <laughs> but in terms of this little horse and the relationship with Gina Andrews, the connection with you know Gina's partner, sort of family owning the horse in training, obviously with the skeleton operation. Uh, it's hard, it's hard not to like the horse and the connections and the story around it, let alone the performance. It is. He's building up quite a little profile, isn't he now in these, these races? Like, yeah. Well, the last time I thought it was impressive. It, it won it really well, bounded clear from the last. You'd imagine all roads would lead back to March and potentially a national bid as well um, on the upgrade. I know there's a lot made of Manella Windows, which was eye-catching, the way that he, he travelled up to the home turn. I was not underwhelmed with what he did from there. It was what he did from the sort of second last upwards, I thought was a little bit underwhelming with Manella Vindo, but clearly had a big weight and it was a step back in the right direction. But yeah, I love the winner. I love the story. And there might even be a bigger day to come in the spring as well, the way he's thriving right now. Yeah, yeah he's cool. And he tra- he's such a little, well, he seems pretty small and he travels so well. And I don't know, there's just something about him and Gina in the saddle as well. It's just, there's a very likable factor in regards to that. Late night pass is now 12 to one for the cross country. Obviously, a lot of focus, as Davis said there, Brendan, on Manella Indo in behind. Um, would you have any interest in either the winner or anything else for the cross country back off level weights come the spring? Well, it, it was. I mean, it's going to be so much harder for the for, for the winner. It was getting was it seventeen pounds off Galvin, or it's over a stone anyway. So it, it, I thought the horse did well because the jumping wasn't wasn't always brilliant, but tra- traveled beautifully through the race. I suppose the one you'd be interested in on, on the back of it is Foxy Jacks, uh, who, who, who saw the the, the the winner off at the. Uh, November meeting and will now be up to a mark in the 150s only a nine-year-old was a talented horse seems to have rediscovered some sparkle uh Foxy Jacks would be I know again at off-level weights it's gonna it's gonna have a lot more to do than, than was the case in in November but Foxy Jacks is, is, is a runner in that cross-country chase for March Okay, positive for him then. Um, TC, we saw Fergal O'Brien, uh, Team Fergal, Paddy Brennan with a good one with the mayor, Dysart Enos, who's now been cut to four to one for the mayor's novices hurdle at the festival, the unbeaten hurdler for the team. Um, she seemed, you know, she's a big reputation. She's going to be a big and important horse for the yard, isn't she? Yeah, very impressive. Whether or not it should, she should be four to one, I'm not sure. But it sounds like they're going to go very, very slowly with her. Just go to a novice hurdle under a penalty because I think that mayor's novice hurdle. I think you can pick up up to five and three pound penalties if you hit the wrong hit the wrong race uh, on the route there. So yeah, I'm very impressed. Um, but you know, how many Willie's going to have in that and Gordon etc. So yeah, four. I think it's a really, really promising UK horse. Whether whether she'll be up to the Irish quality come March, I'm not so sure. So fours, it's a pass, even though acknowledging she's uh, she's obviously got outs- well, not outstanding claims, but leading claims in that race. Yeah, okay. she's a right bearer. Oh, sorry, 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 go ahead. No, 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 Brendan, go for it, go for it. 
Well, no, no, she's just, she's just a right mare. The only horse that's given her a race in her career so far is that Queen's Gamble. And uh, she, she, she's a talented mare. Just absolutely bolts up every time it runs, the Dice Artinos. Yeah, it's a couple does. of prices. Uh, 2.44 Grey Dawning hit. And late night pass is also 33s for the national if you are thought an 11 year old is going to win it. Thank you very much, TC. Um, no, Dave, I was just going to ask you in regards to Dysar Enos, you know, she couldn't really be much more impressive at this stage, really, and given what she's doing. I know she doesn't run by a wide margin, but when you watch it back, you know, she really, you just think, oh, this could be a real special one. She does. She uses class, doesn't she? And what she does, mm-hmm. and the way she she goes through a race. And I agree with everything that's been said. She's exciting. I like the fact they've got a plan. They're going to race. They know where they're going and what they're building up towards. The problem is we've no idea whatsoever what lies in wait in March. There's countless mares that haven't even seen the racetrack yet. They'll be out over Christmas. The other side of the IBC. So four to one makes zero appeal. But I'd love to see her develop into an absolute crackerjack and, and go there all guns blazing in March. Um, what about a broad and faster who's been cut for the triumph hurdle to 33s after his victory for the Jack Jones, Tom Bellamy team and boosting the form of Burdett Road in the process? Dave, how's that triumph hurdle market, the juvenile division developing over here in your eyes? Well, I'd have zero interest in the winner for the triumph. The, the trainer didn't, to be honest. He was talking about the Fred Winter straight away. He said we'd be a 50 to 1 chance for the triumph. We might as well go Fred Winter. But Burdett Road bubbling away quite nicely. I think the problem with him is going to be the jockey booking, is it? Harry Cobden immediately after the last word at Cheltenham said, oh, I don't think Paul's got anything in this league in the juvenile hurdlers. And all of a sudden, Paul has a listed winner. One or two others coming out now. So I think the thing to follow with Burdett Road is who's going to be on his back next time? I wonder if he'll start panicking that they might lose the services of Harvey and might need to find another jockey forthwith for March. But he's the best of them over here. Um, I was really taken with him at Chalm. I thought, really, that way he quickened up the hill and the farm's stacking up. It's really encouraging. So, yeah. but that's interesting, though, isn't thing, it? haven't we? It's interesting. I hadn't thought of that jockey booking situation because I feel like Cobden's been, is part of the Burdett Road development plan, isn't he? You know, what he's been doing on the horse, how he's been teaching him to jump. I just feel like he is quite a crucial mm. member of that team. Would that be fair to say, Dave? I'm sure he is, and I'd, they'd be desperate to keep him on board, and I'd imagine he'd be <laughs> desperate to stay on board. But the the champion trainer down in Ditchard, if he's got something that's going to be a single-figure prize for the Triumph Hurdle, I, I can't see him releasing Harry as much as he might it might add to the chances of the favourite. Mm, yeah, interesting. That story will yet to be developed. Um, Shanai Bob, we should mention him um, in the Albert Bartlett division has been nibbled at to 20 to 1, having been 25s previously. Uh, stepped up in class TC at Cheltenham and toughed it out without being impressive. Is it fair to say he's still a work in progress for the Hendo team? Yeah, it's, he was. He didn't look the winner, kind of like anything after anything until after the last. I mean, it mm. tends in running. I thought he might go bigger because I thought he was beat turning in. But um, as the Plumpton run suggested, he's just all about stamina. This horse. So you know, I think you if you back him for Cheltenham, at least you know you're going to be on a runner if he if he you know impresses in his trial because he's just a free mile all over. But that was pretty deep, soft ground on on Saturday. Uh, even in the Albert Bartlett, um, if it was good to soft, you can easily see him being outpaced by the by the Irish horses that come over. So, yeah, uh, expensive two hundred grand purchase, unbeaten, 
16's not for me on the back of that. No. Any interest, Dave, from your point of view? I haven't really, hasn't caught my imagination yet, this horse in the Albert Bartlett division, I must say. No, not me. This might be a lazy cliche. I always think for the Albert Bartlett, you want something that's a bit seasoned. There's almost the the finished article to, to see that race out. And he's far from it, isn't he? He looked beat two or three times. Look, he's exciting. He should be. It cost 200 grand. Uh, they bought him to be be a top notch. He doesn't do anything quickly. And I think his education is going to have to be fast tracked if he's going to be ready for a test like the Albert Bartlett in March. Yeah, I would, I would fear the same. Um, let's cover a bit of Irish action, Brendan. We saw Birdie or Bus make use of Fun Fun Fun's error in the Mayor's Novices Hurdle, a listed race at Turles uh, in, in the week, just gone. Um, obviously, all eyes were on the short price favourite, Fun Fun Fun, but you can't recover. Well, she just didn't recover, did she, from the error she made? Was it the back of the last? That, 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 that's it actually jumped the, 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 the hurdle pretty well because she could see over it just about and then just just sprawled on landing. Uh, she was definitely the best mare in the race. The, 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 the betting had that right. And if, if they met her again, if they met again, you'd expect her to reverse the form. OK, and obviously that horse has become one of TC's favourite horses because of my excellent storytelling skills. Isn't that right, TC? Yeah, he's going to be renamed Fuck, Fuck, Fuck after training at 102 and getting chinned on the... (laughs) (laughs) I like that. like it. Um, Also, Brendan, we should just give a mention to the Enabler, who Mm. won the listed Navin bumper. That's the same bumper as the likes of Sam Crow, Envoy Allen, so Gerhard and American Mike have won in recent years. So it's a bumper to keep an eye on. One for Gordon Elliott, Harry Swan in the saddle. Um... Lots of people will be latching on to this enabler now, but maybe not for the festival bumper. Probably not. Gigginstown don't tend to like the horses running in, running in the Cheltenham bumper. So uh, you, you, you might see it at Punchestown, although clearly he has no problem on, on, on deep winter ground. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, there were some promising sorts in behind, put six and a half lengths into them, has an awkward head and tail carriage, but I mean, by walking the park, it's the Monjoin, and what are you going to do? You'd have to save his nickel the long turn him for home, found loads for pressure. Uh, the Navin is a merciless place. Well, Gordon Elliott probably wouldn't agree. He would describe it as his playground, I suppose. It was a very tough place, and horses can easily shirk it up that hill. No sign of that. Uh, very promising horse uh, for, for next season when he goes novice hurdle. Okay, last word in the race review section. I think last word anyway. TC can go to you. Apples away. Lucinda Russell's mare um, got off the market the second time of asking over fences. Uh, she's obviously a horse that we're all interested in following her grade on success last season. She bumped into grade dawning at Haydock. That wasn't a bad effort, but at Leicester, second time up over fences, uh, her jumping, I think, was the big thing that was an improved part of her game anyway. Yeah, more emphasis on, on stamina. Um, Leicester heavy ground is an acquired taste, isn't it? So a lot of horses just cave in there. I mean, Leicester going is, like I said, it's... Uh, it's a bit extreme, but very impressive. The, the actual bare form of that, I mean, the second, albeit uh, given the sex allowance, I mean, went into the race rate 132. You know, she's chinned in by 31 lengths. And given that the back form, the grade one winning back form at, at Aintree, um, yeah. Uh, and, and obviously Lucinda Russell's and Peter Scudamore's made no secret about how highly they rate her. So 
yeah, I feel it was a significant performance um, going forward. I haven't got a clue what their plans are, but on what we saw at the week, uh, what we saw last week, yeah, she's um, she's a, a fair bit of a weapon. Okay. Does anyone else have anything else they'd like to talk about from the racing division, Dave? Anything else to add? You know what I don't think there is. No, it was um, as you say, it's the calm before the Christmas storm, isn't it? That we're going through at the minute. I was expecting a William Mullins maiden hurdle to win well yesterday, and it got beat by stable mate. So that's sort sort of sums up. The, the dogs were barking about the the one and the beat the one it with the other. So it's still really mixed. The, the bumper and the novice hurdles just aren't taking shape at the minute. I'm sure we'll just, just on that, Dave. I don't know who um, who ghosts Willie's uh, for the Sporting Life site, but it's a. Uh... I just get the impression that he hasn't caught fire at all. Normally by this stage, and Gordon, they've got horses up there for the triumph, for all the novice hurdles, for basically anything you can throw a stick at. I just get the impression he might just have about 300 horses to come out from here on in and a lot of unraced ones because, like I said, the the betting markets at Cheltenham, not that I really kind of like concentrate on them, they just seem to be... There will be a willy onslaught at some point and the markets will just completely change. I don't know, do you get the impression he's got a lot of horses to still come out first time up? Yeah, I do. The, the stuff we were given pre-season, the unraced ones, a lot of those haven't been seen yet. The, the novice hurdlers have been the ones that have been, they've not been going in, they're getting beaten at four to six, four to seven and there, there's been no momentum. Patrick made the comment recently to us as well that they're a bit lighter on the the bumper horses than there were last season. There haven't been many. Redemption Day was taken out the listed bumper yesterday. He was due to reappear. I get the impression the A-listers from there haven't been seen yet. They're, they're feeling their way with the younger horses a little bit. But you, you suddenly realise it's it's Christmas. We're at December now. It's, you're beginning to get within two runs of Cheltenham, aren't you? If that's the plan, you're looking at... You need to be running at Christmas if you're going to take get two more in before Cheltenham, at least. But, I think it'll be really interesting in the next few weeks exactly what begins to surface. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how some of these markets develop, but I just get the impression it's like the Mullins team seem to be peaking. I don't know, maybe I'm totally wrong, but it feels like as the seasons go by, they're peaking them later and later with their first pit stop being Christmas, the second one now being the Dublin Racing Festival, third one being Cheltenham, last one being Punchestown, obviously. And look, maybe I'll be eating humble pie, but I just feel like we're going to have one day, a couple of those days at Leopardstown, 27th, 28th time, where, you know, it'd be Mullins five timer, Mullins six timer, that sort of territory. I, In I fairness, think, the, 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 the over under for Christmas based on the last couple of years is probably about 20 winners or something stupid, isn't it? I mean, just... I mean it got mental last year. Do you remember, like, just up and down the Irish country, it was crazy at one stage. Anyway, we, we shall see. We shall see. Anybody else with anything else to add? Brendan, uh, TC, before we move on? No? Well, I, I mean, just very briefly, you've already mentioned it, but anyway, shout out to Gavin Sheen and, and Fugitive. I mean, that, that was just a horse race, wasn't it? It was one of the best races of the season. Had to have that jump at the last. Fearless, went long, won, couldn't won a short head. It was a brilliant race. Okay, let's move on then. News and views times, guys. Um, plenty to get stuck into here. And we will start with the fact that a decision over the possible debate of affordability checks has been delayed in the new year. Obviously, um, we have had the petition needed to get to 100,000 signatures to try and halt the implementation of affordability checks as outlined by the government in the white paper. Um, 
We reached 100,000. Everyone was excited about that. But then, of course, it goes to the Parliamentary Petitions Committee and then they decide whether it will be debated in Parliament. And a decision about whether it will be debated has been postponed until the new year. So, TC, to summarise, I just don't think this is ever going to get there, is it? Possibly. I mean, the only... I mean, there's some speculation that the, the uh, you know, the election... Um, can but could well be sooner rather than later. Some people are speculating January to February, which obviously will will put it on the back burner. But the permit, I imagine the petitions committee is an all all party group, so that won't be kind of like hampered as such by a change of government, which is mm. probably tens on. Um, yeah, it's but even if it is debated, I mean, it's going to be debated by about. I mean, when Matt Hancock brought his last one, brought, brought this to Parliament last time. There was only 19 MPs turned up. Um, and, you know, if if Hancock's still pushing it, given his appearance at the recent COVID inquiry and stuff like that, it's only been a go-by, there ain't going to be more people than 19 turning up. So what use it's going to be, given that what's already taken place, what discussion's already taken place, I don't know. They might decide we've already discussed it, Hancock's brought it in, um, we don't need, we don't need to do that. You just like kick it into the long grass, but a change of government is going to presumably change attitudes on the white paper, so it could well be pretty irrelevant anyway. I think it might. I think this is going to be all changed as soon as the government changes in January till May or whenever that may well be. Do you concur, Dave? I do. It's, I think it's just going to be up in the air, as you say, till the, the change of government. I mean, it doesn't sound the most entertaining committee to be on the members of it does it i mean they're done for christmas now they don't sit again till the new year so we're in the wrong game i'm going to see how we get on that <laughs> committee i think but um it, it's a shame because there was such a fuss made about getting to the hundred thousand and rallying racing round and <laughs> the trade paper leading the charge and the social media accounts you get to hundred thousand yeah what what's next and the answer might well be nothing so yeah sitting on the hands and i'm not exactly holding my breath no, I'm not either. And it does, it's a bit, it is a bit of a shame, isn't it? It's like we all make such an effort and 100,000 signatures really like, it's not even that many when you really think about it and how many people are supposed to be following the game and the sport, et cetera. Um, I don't know that I found that, I, I found the whole thing quite depressing. And then this is just adding to that really, the fact that it doesn't even sound like it's going to get there to the discussion point. Um Brendan, talk to me about Tony Martin, because he yeah. has been handed a six-month suspension. Uh, it has been suspended, though, for two years, yeah. because for the third time in four years, a horse trained by him has tested positive for a banned substance. So this is the second time in recent months we've seen this ban come into play because, of course, Dennis Hogan was was um, also banned for the same offence, wasn't he? Essentially, it's a totting up offence of these banned substances being found in horses. And then the IHRB have said, if you do it too many times in a certain amount of years, you're going to get a six-month suspension. Dennis had his. His was not suspended. Tony Martin's is. Can you flesh out some details here for us? Okay, so it seems like they've said uh, this is this is happening too 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 often, and we're we're going to have to find you. Martin had no idea how it, it was a painkiller, how it got into the horse's system. He had half emotion. Michael, they Alfred. never do, by the way, Brendan. 
They never do. Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, no, I, I take your point, and I, I understand the cynicism, and of course, I, I'm obviously going to be the, the fanboy in the corner, but I, 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 I'm conscious of this in all sports. It's so difficult for the participants in sport, necessarily difficult, because for, as fans, we don't want to be watching a pantomime. So to try to keep sports clean, there have to be draconian measures. But you'll hear about people getting woken up. Uh, a few times a week, athletes and what have you to to go go and take a piss. You have to do it now. You have to let us know where you're gonna be. It's it it, it is taxing on them. And Martin was making the point about the bedding up in Dundalk may have. It seems like Halford said it might be recycled, or Martin said there might have been some cross contamination. Uh, I mean, the the encouraging thing was that uh, on the back of this, it triggered an unannounced visit to Tony Martins, where they they took some hair samples and all the horses uh, came back clean. So I'm not sure how much more the authorities can do. And we've spoken about this before. Unless you get someone to say, oh, yes, I was handed that needle to stick the painkiller into the horse. It's very difficult to say. That, that that there is doping going on. Uh, I think the only way on balance of probability you could say that is if the unannounced visit turned up something as well, which it didn't. Um, so he, he, there, there was also uh, problems with his with his medical records, the log books they have to keep. I imagine again that's a that, that's an onerous task, uh, and, and you you could easily overlook it. A busy trainer, a busy yard. I I do have some sympathy for the trainers in this case and and the athletes, but I absolutely understand and applaud the authorities for doing it. It's very important to try and do your best to keep sports uh, clean. Uh, yeah. And, and, but um, it, it, it's happening too often. If it happens again in the next two years, he's got a six month suspension hanging over him I think all in all fair enough I, I wouldn't have too many problems though no I should just say as well Dennis Hogan's ban I think was for three months wasn't it so there's obviously some leeway in terms of how they implement the rules I guess um I suppose that leads though Dave to the next question of should there be should there be leeway in how they implement the rules I don't know like I don't know the depth of the rule book over there with this enough but it just feels like I don't know. I don't know. It does. It feels like he's being caught for the same thing that another trainer's being caught for, but not being given the same ban. I don't know how that happens. Oh yeah, expect there to be sort of statutory punishments in place, don't you, for for certain offences? And I, I don't know how it works um, as myself in Ireland. I do come back to the point you made, Vanessa, as well about um, it happens here in fast track cases where a banned substance has been found, and the, the trainer will suggest it might have been contaminated bedding at a race course or something. And but the source is never found, and it, 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 it's the vast majority of cases we get no no further down the line, do we? We're, we're finding out where this substance, how this substance has appeared. And it happens regularly. You read the BHA stewards' notes on fast track cases. It happens regularly here that there's no source found. I thought the medical records rang more of an alarm bell with me than it did Brendan. I know, I know they're busy, but not to be out of date since was it August 2020? Yeah, they haven't been updated. 2022, I think. Yeah, yeah, that that sounds like that's a fairly serious breach. As far as that would be be concerned, I'd imagine that rang one or two alarm bells at the AHRB. But yeah, I don't know how it works over there. But as you, Brendan said, it. Another one in the next two years, that six months suspension is triggered. Yeah, okay. Uh, We will see then. Obviously, they will have to run a tighter ship at the Tony Martin Yard. Um, Big news story of the week, TC. The biggest of them was probably the BHA, well, I mean, was it a leaked proposal 
about the BHA limiting the number of horses a trainer can have in certain races, essentially, in handicaps in Great Britain. Potentially, the number is four, with the main aim clearly being focused in on the national. Um, It's sort of up for discussion at the moment, or they're sounding out opinions anyway. How likely do you think this is to happen, TC? It's come out this week, but... Um, I was quite shocked when I read the headline, but a lot of people saying this just won't happen. There's going to be too much of a backlash on it. Um, well, it shouldn't happen, um, but it's kind of like just protectionism, isn't it, We're from the Irish coming over and absolutely ruining the Grand National in the BHA's eyes anyway. So Yeah, Brendan, it, piss off, will you? <laughs> if, if it's, um, you should have come to Brendan first, actually, but he can, he can, he can get his, uh, he can get his, uh, coverage in there but what i would say is i I just can't see how it works they're being very select look it's 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 a leap they probably had a communication to trainers stroke owners about you know we're thinking about this so it could just be a kite flying exercise and um yeah and it only he only addresses handicaps doesn't it i mean obviously they're never going to go anywhere near Aidan O'Brien on the flat with these kind of things where we've all seen him dominate the Irish derby. He had four out of the nine in the ledger. We've discussed this before. So, you know, he only needs a JP McManus, you know, to to come out and just say, look, okay, if you if you want to do this over, the, it's all to do with the Irish coming over and actually with the Grand National. That, that's how I see it. They don't want... Gordon Elliott, stroke Willie Mullins, Jiggins down, absolutely. Now there's only 34 runners up for grabs coming over and just like nabbing 20 odd of those. Um, it shouldn't, it shouldn't even come to pass. Uh, and but then again, if it's if it, I imagine all the English trainers are going to feed into it and say, yeah, yeah, we agree with that. So it's whether the BHA <laughs> can actually BHA just say, look, we had to think about this, we've had a rethink. Yeah, like, like I said, I, it only needs a JP McManus to get on the phone and just say, let's just stop this nonsense and just let the best horses run in the race if they're eligible for it. Do you think it is complete nonsense, Brendan, from your point of view? Or do you can you see that they're trying to save the national and sort of, you know, they don't want it to become a monopoly, I guess, and they're doing they're trying to do something about that? Absolutely. Um, I, 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 I'm not great at envisaging how these things are, are going to work. Kevin talked about this actually in the context of the Troy Town, and he didn't hate it, um, it, to stop uh, Gordon Elliott Carp bombing um, the, the Troy Town. He said it, it, his opinion had changed on it because it is an interesting one. He was referencing golf in terms of the way they made some adaptations to, to, to golf to try oh, to stop yeah. that. But, yeah, yeah. There's a, I mean, there's a, there's a fascinating example of this with the NFL. The NFL back in the '80s used to have these dynasty teams. Now it's a different setup because it's a closed. So there's only 32 teams. If you're in, you're in, and you, you can never fall out. But the commissioner at the time said, "Lads, I have this idea that what we should do is we should, with various initiatives around competition, we should try to make all the teams as even as possible because it'd be better spectacle for the viewers. We'll have more competitive matches and we'll all make more money. 
Now, for a start, that's pitching socialism in America, which isn't easy. But somehow this commissioner was such a salesman, he managed to talk the dynasty teams around because they're the ones who would object, obviously. And ever since then, it's by far the most popular sport in America and they're making more money than God. So these initiatives that look like uh, pr protectionism, but they are to uh, sort of inspire competition, can be good. And from a fan's perspective, it's not great when you have one trainer having uh, 10, 10 horses in a race. Now, of course, you know they're all trying, but you don't exactly know how the tactics of the race are, are going to play out uh, because they do have an advantage in terms of they can control that. So it sort of becomes self and they win the races, of course. And so owners are therefore more likely to send them or so it becomes self-perpetuating. So to try and put the brakes on it and make the game more competitive, I don't hate these initiatives, but I, I, I wonder if they, if they really follow through. If this was the first one and they said, well, this is our first thing and we have these other ideas and we're going to gradually try to make the game more competitive, I think it could uh, absolutely Im Im improve the product. Uh, interestingly, I thought, I, I know that it was a committee and as we know, Vanessa, um, a, a camel is a horse designed by committee. So what I thought they'd actually end up doing was they'd up the number. So it'll be up to six or something, but may maybe it'll just all fall on its arse, uh, as you suggested. Yeah, I, I don't know, Dave. The discussion is obviously being had at the moment, hence why this has come out in the press this week. Uh, like TC said, clearly um, you'd imagine that horsemen in the industry have been, discussed, been discussing it and that's how it's sort of come out. But like, ultimately... Is it going to fix the wider problem? Probably not. It's just an optics thing for the national, right? It's, it's absolute nonsense, isn't it? I mean, of all the things that's wrong with British racing at the <laughs> minute, how many people have come up to you and said, the first thing I'd change is how many runners Gordon Elliott can have in the Grand National? That's well, how many people have come up to any of us and said, you know what I don't like? All those maroon and white colours. I don't know what yeah. the fuck's going on. That's what I want changed. It's And it fundamentally doesn't change a thing. If Gordon Elliott hadn't have run all those in the Tri-Town, the Tri-Town wouldn't have filled. He didn't stop a single other horse running in the Tri-Town. The Grand National, if Gordon Elliott is limited to four runners in William Hunt, might not fill, even though it's only 34, 35. We haven't got the staying chasers in this country to, to fill a Grand National. And what do you think is going to happen? That these owners are, oh, I'm going to be Gordon Elliott's sixth, seventh, eighth string. So what I'll do, I'll move the horse in February, we'll bring him across to England to one of the trainers who are signing up for this. And they're suddenly going to get a plethora of new horses that they can... Have a run in the Grand National. It's just not going to happen. It's a, I'm sure it's definitely a leak. Something that's been sent through as a questionnaire might have been question 19 of 20 on the questionnaire that's been picked up on. And I'm not surprised some trainers over here think it's a good idea. I think it's completely unworkable. And I just don't, it can't be a runner. I, I mean, what there was some talk, I said, do you limit the owner rather than the, the trainer? Because the owner might be able to move horses. I mean, where do we stop? Is it? Is this not behavioural economics? I mean, you have to try something to change behaviour uh, in terms of... I see that. You, yeah, I do see yeah, that. You, you are going to have all the talent warehoused. Well, very similar to, to it is at, at the moment. Now, maybe it, it is the case that it wouldn't change the behaviour of the owners. That's quite possible. Is, is it worth trying anything, though, or trying something anyway to... The thing about this is, I mean, the owners have been mentioned. I mean, JP McManus has got his horses dotted around, so he doesn't have X amount of horses with some training. But if he wanted to make a point, if he had six in the Grand National, two months beforehand, he'd just say, right, I'm moving them all to end a bulge or something like that. You try and stop me running horses here. I mean, the thing about this is, it was surely 
we we don't know how this how this question was termed to to the trainers and owners etc. No, but surely it is Grand National specific. I, the Irish have been coming over here this season and propping up a lot of our graded races uh, and a lot of our handicapped as well. We had a 130 grand race on Saturday, three of the 12, and, the, and that was nowhere close to filling, uh, were Irish. And, and you know, that, without the Irish, our sport in this country would be falling apart this season. They are literally responsible for uh, dominating a lot of the markets and providing a lot of the runners for our, for our, you know, for our sport over here. So, I mean, it's, you know, if you're, if you're an Irish trainer or an Irish owner, you just think, just, who are these guys? And if they stop supporting English racing and UK racing, we'd be even in a bigger hole than we are at the moment. I I, I just, it's, if you're going to discuss it, discuss it properly and discuss it specifically. And that might have been the case. They might have just said, we have to address an impending shitstorm in the Grand National with Jigginstown having 12 of the 34 have it being reduced from 40 last year. Well, if, if, but if, yeah, I mean, it seemingly does seem to be focused on the national. And if that is the case, then the wheels are going to have to start turning on this pretty quickly. Like it's not that far away, Christmas and New Year out the way, and they'd have to put these rules into play for this year if that's what they're if that's what this is all about but anyway um there'll be more on that i'm sure because of course at the moment it is just the proposal it is just the discussion being had but it's an interesting one and it'll lead on to people discussing the likes of should trainers be restricted with the number of horses they can have in training etc etc but that's a whole nother kind of worms we are not going to discuss on this show boys Instead, we are going to move on to David Egan, David Ord, because he has had a big week. He won the feature race on a Gordon Elliott sprinter, Coachella, up at Newcastle on Saturday. And of course, that was just the day after the news came out about him signing a two-year contract with Team Ammo Racing, uh, high profile I was going to say sacking. He says it's not a sacking. Letting go of uh, Kevin Stott this year and, of course, Ross Ryan the year before. Um, now David Egan, next young jockey, in the firing line for Ammo Racing, in the hot seat. Um, we know about his talents in the saddle, Dave, and he seems a level-headed guy. How do you think he's going to get on in this role? I noticed you stressed the word too when you were reading out about his contract and <laughs> the sniggering around the... I spoke to Fan Valley when Kevin Stott parted company and he said he hopes the next guy gets the money up front so that I mean <laughs> I, I think we're all there I think he's a very good appointment he's a very, he's a very good jockey right stage of his career I'm quite surprised he, he's gone for it but then you look at Ammo apparently very very active at the yearling sales increased number of horses in trading this time around look I hope it works out for him I hope it works out for for Ammo Racing um, I think he's going to have to start well <laughs> ride lots of winners early and get lots of credit in the the bank for it to do so, but he's a really talented jockey, isn't he? He's been tied to the Roger Varian team. I think it's a big decision to jump, but they have got the firepower. They've got King of Steel back around. I think this is a sign that Frankie, he might be back at Wylaska, but I don't think he necessarily back on King of Steel. I don't know if he did upset them by wearing a Mossadaf baseball cap at the Breeders' Cup, like one or two people claim, but it, it looks like he won't be coming back to ride him anyway. So, yeah, good luck to David Egan. It'd be great, wouldn't it, if in two years' time we were discussing him extending that contract, but... Uh, I don't think I'd be five to six each of two on that right at the minute. No, fair comment. But I, I genuinely wish David that, well, I think we all do, the very best there, of luck. There's an you. interesting story here that I don't think anybody's picked up on. Now, Go Ammo on. Racing Limited, I'm not going to do my usual bit about Kia. Um, Ammo Racing Limited, and I think they might have 
some different guises of of, of owners or, or what they run under. But Ammo Racing Limited is the big one. They've used 56 jockeys in 2023. Who has got the worst record for them? David Egan, I assume. Yes. <laughs> David Egan is not from 18. The worst out of all the 56 taken in, the number of rides, winners, etc. He's had ridden, he has ridden a few seconds. But so you look at your you look at your roster for 2023 and think, yeah, that guy who's not from 18 for us this season, um, hasn't ridden a winner. Loads of other jockeys have. Scott's got quite a good strike rate. Yeah, let's give it to Egan. Yeah, yeah but you try sift through that list of 50 whatever jockeys. I did this and, morning. <laughs> and find a jockey who fits what Kia needs in a jockey mentally. Uh, cheap, I would suggest. Yeah. Oi, TC, that was a bit of blow. I meant more just, you know, can take the take the feedback. Is that a diplomatic way of saying it? Uh, who's Ross Coakley should be should be getting that job. Oh, interesting. No, I don't even know who he is until I saw his name pop up. Three from seventeen, I think he was. Yeah, he's a yeah, very yeah, nice yeah, young was, chap as well. Anyway, look, my point is well. is that you know not everyone will fit that bill for the ammo racing job, but David Egan clearly does. I wish him the very best of luck. His relationship with Roger Varian and of course the knock-on effect with King of Steel is going to be a huge benefit to him. Um, so we will follow that new partnership in the new year with interest. Now. Let's talk about everyone's favourite flat jockey in the UK, Frankie the Tory. All big Frankie the Tory fans. My dad was such a fan, he made a film about him. Frankie's come out and said, if I was young again, I wouldn't ride in Britain. Thank you very much, Frankie. We're lacking massively compared to the rest of the world. Uh, this is an interview that's come out that Frankie the Tory has done, obviously, post uh, his time in the jungle, where he was voted out of there pretty swiftly indeed by the UK public. And he's come out with some pretty punchy quotes in regards to where UK racing sits versus its worldwide um, sort of competition, I guess. He's obviously up for Sports Personality of the Year. He's a nomination for that. He's made the shortlist with this sort of, I don't know, half retirement relocation to California. And he's done an interview where he's come out talking about you know, who's going to be the next him in British racing in terms of the face of British racing. He says that it took him years to become a household name after his Magnificent Seven. He did the question of sport and top of the pops. I was selling myself, but I was selling my sport because somebody's got to do it. There's no point sitting back, riding and going to bed. We're in the entertainment industry. He says, I think everyone should roll up their sleeves and do what I did. You go to America, Australia, Japan, everything's available for everyone. And he just goes on to talk about the international sort of scene, essentially. But basically in there, he says, if I was a young jockey now and my weight was good, I wouldn't think twice to live here. That presumably means in California. Prestige doesn't pay bills. 30 years ago when I did it, it was different. But now the world of horse racing has passed us tenfold. I'd go to America or Australia and start a career there. Some pretty strong lines. Who to start with first? I'm going to come to you, TC, I think, first here. Some, a fair few people, I think it's fair to say, have taken a bit of offence in regards to what Frankie was saying in this much longer interview you can find at theracingpost.com. Um, but 
what was your take on it? Is this just the rallying call from the man that has fronted our sport for the last couple of decades? Or has he made some sort of throwaway comments there that have rightly got people a bit annoyed? Uh, yeah. Who needs Jermaine Genius when you've got Frankie Dottori leading the charge for Great British Racing? Um, well, look, there is a lot of truth in what he said. Uh, and there is a there is a gathering groundswell about people wanting to know where all the money coming to the sport is via media rights. And that is actually something that uh, Julie Harrington addressed uh, last Monday. She was just saying, look, there's no transparency as where all this money is going, you know, and speak to any jockey on or off the record, any trainer on or off the record. They just think our prize money is pitiful. I imagine, We all know Frankie loves a pound note uh, or a dollar or whatever the currency in Australia is. Um, and that's where he's coming from. He's coming, he's coming at it from a financial point of view. Uh, and it seems to be getting more extreme with him later on in life. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of honesty there, but I'll be a lot, there's a lot of people who just think, you know, you're not being very loyal here, are you? Um, you know, you know, you're not, you're not, you know, we've been held up as an ambassador for the sport for any number of years, and he's coming out and basically rubbish the sport. May well be correctly, and from a financial point of view, I think he's pretty much spot on, but it's one of those ones where a lot of people would say, come on, we've done right by you. We don't need this. Yeah, I mean, as I, I've pulled some of those quotes in a slightly, you know, random order just to get the point across about what he's saying. As you say, TC, it goes on to talk about that push to where betting turnover and the media rights are going in the UK. That's what he's questioning, Frankie. And then he says, Dave... I'm just saying it straight. I'm not a politician. I'm not going to fight the system because I don't understand it. But I've got eyes and I can see black and white and we're falling behind the rest of the world. Well, in regards to prize money and his reference earlier that prestige doesn't pay bills, no one can argue with that statement, despite the fact you might not like that he said it. No, you can. But And TC touched on the Julie Harrington speech. There's definitely this pressure now on the media rights and trying to find out where the funding is. And in a roundabout way, that's what Frankie was commenting on. It's just, he's had such a, a career in the final 12 months over here, that, the, the final 12 months, that we had the farewell tour and the the things that, when you read it from, from a guy, I'm pretty sure he's done an awful lot for Frankie to talk. If we put him on that worldwide stage, it's the successes he, he's had here that's allowed him to, to do what, what he has done. And it's so much harder. The thing that catapulted that Magnificent Seven on terrestrial TV gave him a platform that very few other jockeys have had. I mean, the current crop can't go on Question of Sport because uh, that's been calm. They can't go on um, Top of the Bops. That's yeah. been calm. It's so hard to get to uh, get a sporting profile. It is really, really difficult to do. We might not ever have somebody with one like Frankie had. It's just a, a shame that he's clearly frustrated, clearly frustrated about prize money, etc. But we were led to believe last year he was desperately trying to cling on and get another job for next year in Britain as well. So I, I'm sure there will be opportunities for young jockeys coming forward, but they might be better paid elsewhere. But I don't know how easy it is to make your name in Australia or America, for example. I don't know how easy it is to get your, your feet on the ladder there either. No, I mean, you know, times and, you know, so much has evolved since Frankie became a household name 20 years ago. You know, the world and the way we, um, you know, the way we consume media is so different now on so many levels. As you say, Dave, you know, it's hard to um, produce a sporting icon these days, however good that person is in their sport because of the way we consume media at the moment. Um, 
It's but the young Brent jockey is, thing. Sorry for that. It's the young jockey though thing. That's so vague, isn't it? At what stage are we? Obviously, they have to have made their bones as apprentices. They're not just going to, as 16-year-olds, oh, I'll horse over to Japan or Australia. There's no doubt the balance of power has shifted to those regions. I take that point. But what is he talking about? If I was a young jockey, so he's relatively established 25-year-old and then jump over. I think you can still make an, an international race uh, reputation as a jockey on these shores with, 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 with some of the horses we have. Yeah, a, yeah. I tell you, the thing that I find the most uh, interesting, not so much this interview itself, but the lack of push for Frankie as Sports Personality of the Year. Like, obviously, he's made the shortlist, right? And... You know, when AP was up for it, Dave, we were just, it was pushed, it was rammed into everyone's faces how we had to vote for AP for Sports Personality of the Year. Everyone got behind him. And it's just amazing, the comparison, because AP is the jumps comparison to Frankie on the flat. You know, what a success AP's retirement tour was in terms of the way the 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 way in which he announced it at um and then the time that he led up to his last day at Sandown. And then, of course, the push for sports personality. There was so much goodwill. And then now with Frankie, it's like the opposite. It's such a, get this right, Vanessa, damp squib. You know, I'm going to retire. I'm not retiring. I'm going to California. I'm going to go out <laughs> pissing off great British racing. And no one's going to, no, there's no even incentive to pick up the phone and vote for him on sports personality. It's just so weird, Dave. We haven't even got a hashtag, have we? The hashtag for Vote AP was everywhere on Twitter, the artist formerly known as Twitter, in the, the bill. No, there's no momentum, no campaign. I think it's a lost cause. You know, I think I don't think there's any chance he can possibly win it either, even though they moved it to a, is it a Tuesday night this year. I don't know if it'll, it might not take as many votes to win it as it normally would if it's hidden away on the schedules. But no, you're dead right. There is no concerted rating campaign. I've not seen a single person. In the print, anyway, commenting on what a great thing it is to have him nominate and giving the support we, to win it either. Yeah, before we move on, I think Dave hit the point on the hit the nail on the head there. I think the media rights is going to be an increasing agenda for for trainers and owners and jockeys. I mean, I think the time has come to pass where these race courses are going to have to front up. Uh, and actually, I know it's kind of like people say it's you know it's a it's a private matter and stuff like that, but. You know, people want to know where all this money is going. Okay, and we need to wrap up, but we couldn't finish this show without giving a special mention to Gez Keel, who we sadly lost in the cross-country chase, Henry Brooks ride, but Josh Guerrero and the Oliver Greenall team, uh, their stable star, of course, won the Grand Sefton, did so well over the national fences, couple of placed efforts, then finally got his Grand Sefton win. Young horse, looked like a potential national horse for the future goes to Cheltenham and has a fatal injury in the cross-country race, completely marred the day, of course. And Jesus Christ, I mean, you don't have a heart if you didn't just feel touched by Henry Brook in the aftermath when he obviously rode the winner of the next race. It, it almost felt cruel. You know, how can you have a such a low like that and then be on national TV and have to try and express how you're feeling with your winner just 35 minutes later? I mean... Such drama, but terrible drama, Dave, for stuff you don't want to see on a racetrack. But my God, like I, you know, can safely put my hands up and say I was having a little cry on the sofa at home. It was a tough, it was a tougher watch as, as I've seen for me personally. It just hit home so hard, like what those teams go through and the, you know, their connection with these horses. And that was their stable star. 
And you just think, how how can it be so cruel? You know. Hundred percent agree. I think the two interviews he did two in quite quick succession, one on yeah. ITV, one on Racing TV, both are so moving. I mean, the, the emotion was still so raw with him, wasn't it? The, there was no elation at the Cheltenham winner, but the way he spoke of Guest Keel and the the reaction from the, the the team on Twitter as well afterwards, it was just so moving. It just brings it home what these horses mean to everybody involved with them. It's 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 interesting because normally kind of we shy away from the, when these things happen, but. By confronting it and doing those two interviews, I only saw the interviews well after the coverage finished. I think Lydia's one, uh, was it Alice doing the ITV yeah. one? Yeah. I thought they were brilliant. They, they were just like pitch perfect, totally got it right. Uh, and what, in addition, what I would say is go and have a look at uh, the stable lass, um, the stable person who looks like, who, who looked after that, uh, Rachel Livam. She actually posted something on Twitter. I think it might have been on Sunday morning. She just said, I, I, you know, what, I've, I've just put a bit, I've lost my best friend in my world and things like that. Oh, so God. out of the tragedy, it's a positive for the sport in how much these horses are loved. And, you know, it's not just an animal dying. Let's move on to the next one. So I think it, there's a positive in there somewhere. It must be very difficult for them, though. Like, would it not just be better if you were involved in caring for for animals to say that's it? These are working animals. They're they're, they're going to die. It happens. We're gonna we're gonna move on. Do you not have to be like a firefighter or a doctor and have a little bit of ice in your soul? Like you'd worry about how the boy Brooke got out of bed the next morning. He was absolutely devastated. Would it be fair to say we, we've discussed this before? And I know we got to we got to finish up. It's fair to say the Irish mindset. About anim- working and well, that's true. Yeah, uh, that's it's, true. it's very different, though, isn't it, Brendan? Is yeah, it? Yeah, that'd be fair to say. Yeah, that would be fair to say. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fair to say. I think you know, if a horse like that has provided, you know, I think when you when you work with horses and you're with horses, you know, day in day out, like it, I I don't I think you have to be a pretty icy character to not get attached to them, Brendan. You know, like, okay. and I don't think people are like that by human nature. You know, it'd be like spending time 24, you know, a lot of your day with a dog and after a few months not feeling any sort of connection to that dog, it'd be near impossible, you know? Like, they're just, I don't know. I, yeah, it was a really tough watch, I thought. And But like TC says, among the sadness, the positive was the sort of outpouring of love for the team, but also the sh- being able to showcase what those horses do mean to the people near to them. I think that is important for our sport. Um, but yeah, Henry Brook and the team, our thoughts very much with you in that moment. Um, but on that note, I think we're just about done and dusted, guys. Thank you very much, as always, to you three. Much enjoyed show. Uh, we obviously have a bit of a different Christmas schedule up and coming, but we will be recording Racing Only Better on Thursday as standard, looking ahead to the weekend racing. Obviously, the focus being at Ascot for the Long Walk Hurdle. Then after that, we'll be covering the sort of gap between Christmas and New Year and into the New Year as best we can with Racing Only Better. Wade In will be back on the 2nd of January. So that's Wade In done and dusted for 2023. Viewers, listeners out there, thank you so much as always for coming along with us for this ride on Wade In. Another year done and dusted. But as I say, we will be back with Racing Any Better on Thursday. But for now, have a good week, everyone. <laughs>